So as you came in this morning, hopefully you received uh, um, some message notes. I encourage you to take those out. And wherever you are this morning, whether you're watching in the gym or you're watching online, I encourage you to take your Bible, power up your phone, whatever it is, and open your Bible up to Romans chapter 8. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. And friends, I cannot tell you how long I have waited to say those words. So this is our 12th message in the book of Romans. This year, our theme is we believe, and we want to be people that believe with faith. We also want to be people that know what we believe. And so there's no better book to study and to give our time to than the book of Romans. But if you've been with us through these 12 weeks, you know that the book of Romans can be kind of a spiritual and an emotional roller coaster. Uh, over and over again. We've said times, uh, several times on this journey that Paul is beginning a new section or Paul is make, taking the next step in explaining the argument that he's building uh, for the gospel. But when you get to chapter 8, if the book of Romans was a movie, the music would begin to change when you get to chapter 8. If the book of Romans was a song, the tempo would begin to build when you get to chapter 8. Because for seven chapters, Paul has been very deliberately explaining the nuts and bolts of this gospel, of this good news that we've been talking about all this time. And when you get to chapter 8, he begins to talk about, he transitions to how this good news is meant to transform not only our lives, but all of the world. So I said it's kind of a roller coaster that we've been on. And if the book of Romans was a roller coaster, it's kind of like for the last seven chapters, we've been climbing that hill at the beginning. And so hands up because here we go. We are off and running into the book of Romans. We are really rolling now in uh, chapter 8. So way back when we started uh, this study in Romans, uh, Steve Steele made the observation that if the most important and most influential book in all history is the the Bible, then perhaps the most important book of the 66 books that make up the Bible is Romans. And I would like to add to that logic that uh, that chapter 8 is perhaps the most important chapter uh, in the most important book. I love how the New Testament scholar N.T. Wright uh, talks about this. He kind of throws down the gauntlet by saying this. He says, Romans 8 is a veritable feast of Pauline themes that carries the power of the gospel in every breath. And then get this. He says, if the church would hoist its sails and catch the wind of Romans 8, there is no telling what might happen. And so I feel like saying, challenge accepted, let's, let's hoist the sails and see what God wants to do as we open our lives up to the fresh wind of God's word that he wants to blow through your life, that he wants to blow through our church as we study this together. So a lot obviously has been said and has been written throughout history um, on this important chapter, but I would like to suggest, like many people have before me, many people much smarter than me, have suggested that if you had to boil down uh, the Roman chapter 8 to kind of one main theme, that main theme would be our security, our spiritual security in Christ. 
Now, as we work our way through Romans 8 over these next three weeks, you're going to see there's a lot of very famous verses. There's a lot of sayings and things that you will really um, recognize, but you don't need to know anything more than this. Romans 8 begins with this promise that we've been singing about, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's chapter verse 1. The last verse says that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And so you start with no condemnation and you end with no separation. And those are like bookends for this security that we have in Christ, this spiritual security that whether you know it or not, we really all long for. You see, security is a big deal for all people. All different kinds of security. I was thinking back of, of my kids, my three kids, and maybe your kids were like this or you were like this. But when my kids were little, all three of them had either a stuffed animal or a blanket or something like that. And it was their security blanket. My little daughter, Mary, she had this little giraffe that I'm telling you, we probably went through about eight or 10 of this same giraffe. We kept buying it over and over again because every time she'd wear it out or God forbid she would lose that thing, right? It felt like her security was gone. But here's the thing. We grow up and we still long for those security blankets. And so now it feels more like financial security or job security. We long for relational security. One of the sessions that I've covered dozens and dozens of times with couples getting ready to to, to get married, we talk about how to create security, how to create that security in your marriage. We long for that kind of relational security. Uh, In Uh, just uh, physical security. Uh, I read that in 2018 that Americans spent $35 billion on home security. And I can only imagine how much that has gone up in the last, you know, several years as that's become even more important for a lot of people. $130 billion spent on cyber security. And we know how important that is. Just uh, this last week or a couple weeks ago, we saw that one cyber attack, uh, you know, can can cut off the, the pipeline to most of the eastern seaboard. But today our topic is spiritual security. And spiritual security is a big deal. So the questions are things like this. Am I right with God? Does God accept someone like me? How, how does God really accept me? What happens when I mess up? What about all the sins in my past? What about all the sins in my future? How, how can I be secure with those things? How many good things do I need to do to somehow win God's approval? Where, where's that list? What are the good things that I could do so that God will somehow accept me? And those are the questions that world religions have been asking uh, in one form or another for years. And the truth is the way that most religions, most world religions try to answer that question is, is how can I be secure in God is something like this. Well, your good deeds need to outweigh your bad deeds, right? If I can tip the scales in my favor and do more good things, then I will be safe. Then God will accept me. Then I'll be secure in this life and God will accept me in the afterlife as well. If you think about it, just this last month, there were thousands of our Muslim neighbors all around our city that were um, on a 30-day fast. They fast during the daylight hours um, as a part of what they call Ramadan. Now, if you talk to most of these Muslim people, they'll tell you that there's great uh, benefit and blessing that comes through the fast. But if you drill down deep, really what it's all about is I want to do this good thing 
so that God will count it in my favor and that good deed will somehow outweigh the bad deed so when I come to the end of my life, I can be secure and God will accept me. It's all about this spiritual security. And the Apostle Paul, who is the author of this book of Romans, was raised in a spiritual system somewhat like that. Right, This legalistic system that it was all about, I'm going to obey God's law, I'm going to keep God's law so that somehow he will accept me and I'll earn God's favor. And then you come to Romans chapter 8 and he says, no, child, there is another way. There's a way that you can know security in Christ. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, As I said, hopefully you have your Bible open. Our goal today is we're going to look at the first 17 verses uh, from Romans chapter 8. And what we're going to see is four realities about our security in Christ. Four realities about our security in Christ. And because preachers usually feel better about themselves if all of their points start with the same letter, for no extra charge today, everything's going to start with the letter P and that'll be helpful um, to us. You guys ready to jump in uh, to Romans chapter 8? The first thing we see, the first reality about our security in Christ is I can be secure because my punishment is paid. My punishment is paid. We've read this verse a couple times already today. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if Romans is the most important book in the most important book, and chapter 8 is the most important chapter in the most important book, then I think you can make a pretty good case that verse 1 is the most important verse in the most important chapter. There is no condemnation. Our punishment is paid. Your punishment is is paid if you are in Christ Jesus. Now, to really get that, you have to remember all that has come before in our study of Romans. For seven chapters, Paul has been going on and on about how insidious, how ubiquitous sin is in our life and in our world. Let me just remind you of a couple things. In chapter one, we talked about how everybody's pushed God away, thought that they could come up with their own ideas, and so we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Romans three says, all have sinned. We all have it, and we all fall short of the glory of God. Chapter six, the way of this sin is death. And and last week, Steve did a great job talking us through Paul's, maybe his most vulnerable um, section in all of the New Testament, where he says, I've got this sin disease as well. The things I want to do, I can't do. And the things that I don't want to do, that's the stuff that seems to come so easy to me. And so what sweet relief when you come to Romans chapter 8 and you realize that for the follower of Jesus, there is no condemnation for our sin. But as an all-loving God, he has provided that payment. Sure, sin requires a punishment to be paid. But the punishment that brought us peace was laid upon him. Let's see how he develops this a little bit in this chapter. Look at verse 3 with me. Verse 3 and 4 say this. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So as we've said before, God can't turn a blind eye to sin. We would love that to be the case. But God's character is perfectly holy. So he can't just ignore sin. That would be out of his character. But because God's character is also perfectly loving, he has provided the payment 
payment for that sin once and for all. And that declaration that we've been talking about, this no condemnation in Christ Jesus, means that all of my past sins are forgiven and paid for. And all of my future sins and all of your future sins, if you are in Christ Jesus, have been paid for and are forgiven, right? There, there is no possibility of future condemnation. So just like the United States Constitution forbids what we call double jeopardy, right? You can't be tried for the same, the same crime twice. That's the way it is spiritually as well. When the payment has been paid, we don't have to worry about making that payment again, right? The, the, to, to actually feel like we have to somehow re-earn that or repay that punishment or guilt myself with those things actually is to deny the work of Christ who paid that penalty. So I, I hear from Christians often, and it kind of just makes you cringe inside. I know what people are saying, but they'll say something like, I feel like God is punishing me. But this teaches us that God is not punishing you. The punishment has been paid. Well, you say, oh, well, I've you know, this bad thing happened to me, or I, you know, I've got this illness, or whatever it is, so God must be punishing you. Christ took the punishment. God is not punishing you. There may be consequences for our sin. God corrects us and disciplines us like he does a loving child, but the punishment is paid. And so we can be secure. How do I know God accepts me Because Paul goes through this whole litany, and then he ends on verse 1, where he says there's no condemnation. So that's the first thing. I am secure because my punishment is paid. But that's not all. There's more things that start with the letter P. I am secure because my position is changed. My position is changed. I have a new spiritual address, if you will. Here, we still want to focus on that same verse, but there is there no for now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's talk about that phrase, in Christ Jesus. If you don't have that underlined and starred and highlighted and circled in your Bible, what are you waiting for. I am telling you there is not a more significant phrase for the Christian. As I've grown in my relationship with God, I I can't think of one thing that has helped me grow more than, than trying to understand and mind the depths of what it means that I am in Christ Jesus. It literally transformed my life and continues to transform my life as I think about it. So how significant is this idea that our position has been changed? We have this new spiritual position. The phrase in Christ or in Christ Jesus or something like that is used 87 times. 87 times in the New Testament. If you read, you'll find things like if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. If you are in Christ, you're a part of God's family and you're unified. If you're in Christ, you're forgiven. If you're in Christ, you have every spiritual blessing. You're equipped with everything you need to live for Christ. You have hope. You have peace. You have contentment. And you see all of those things throughout the New Testament. And if you keep reading down into verse 14 of Romans 8, you see that uh, this new position also means that we are adopted as sons of God and that, sons and daughters of God, and we are heirs of His as well. So let's look at verse 14. We're kind of going to skip around this passage a little bit as we group the themes together. But Romans 8 verse 14 says this, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of of God. That's your position, your spiritual position. You are a child of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. 
Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testify with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, which is a pretty big deal. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And as we talk about this idea of being in Christ, this position change, this new spiritual address, I, 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 as I was telling you, I can't think of uh, something that is, has helped me understand my relationship with God uh, more dramatically than that. Because when you think about it, you realize that you are secure in Him. And again, if you trace the logic that Paul is working with as he's working us through the book of Romans, just remember last week where we were. Paul was vulnerably saying, I, I can't do what I want to do. My life is a mess like everybody else is. And then you turn the page, not even turn the page, you turn one verse and you find this great declaration that there is no condemnation. And what that does for me is it reminds me that my security in Christ and my relationship with God is not about my performance, but it's about my position. Paul is saying, I've tried to to do the performance and it doesn't work. But that no condemnation, this position, is where I find my sins covered. I I tell you, as I think about this, I get emotional about it. I'll I'll be honest, I was just all by myself yesterday kind of going over the notes, and I got to this part of the passage, and I I just was overwhelmed by this. This idea that when God looks down at me, he doesn't see Glenn who keeps doing the same stuff and messes up here and falls short there. God looks down from heaven and he sees Christ covering over my life, right? Colossians 3 says it like this, in Christ you are hidden, you are hidden in Christ Jesus. So in other words, when he looks down, he doesn't see all those things, he sees Christ covering over my life. It's not about my performance, it's about my position, I love what one of my favorite preachers, J.D. Greer, says about this passage. Um, and, and, and we want to be like Christ. We want our life to be holy. We want to be like Christ. We want to follow his example. But we also need to know this, that God doesn't love you to the degree that you are like Christ. He loves you to the degree that you are in Christ. And that is 100%. It reminds me of an old story that's told by, you know, a a great old uh, Christian uh, writer from probably 100 years ago, a guy by the name of F.B. Myers. And Myers tells this story of these two German mountain climbers who wanted to climb the Matterhorn. And I didn't think Disneyland would let them do it, um, but it turns out there's another Matterhorn in Switzerland, who knew? And uh, so they decide they want to climb the the Matterhorn, but it's, it's very dangerous with the abominable snowman and all. And Another Disneyland joke. Um, so they're climbing this mountain, and obviously it's very dangerous. It's a lot of ice, a lot of problems. And so they hire this guide that's going to help, uh, help get them to the top of this mountain. But even as they're climbing to the top of this mountain, they come to one especially steep and slippery part. And so they decide that they're going to take some rope, and they're going to tie themselves together. They're going to tether themselves together for this part of the climb. And they begin the, the climb up this steep uh, part in this slippery part. And no surprise, one of the guys, the guy in the back, actually loses his hold and he begins to fall and he begins to tumble off the mountain and then the rope catches. 
but the rope catches, but because of the, the power of this fall, actually the next guy that he's tied to begins to fall as well. And so now these two climbers are t- t- uh, you know, tumbling towards their death when at last the, the rope goes firm. And this time the rope holds And they look forward and they see that their guide has put a spike deep into the ice. And this spike goes deep into the mountain itself. And so there they are, safe and secure, dangling by a rope, but they can get themselves back on to the mountain. And this giant of a Christian, F.B. Myers, says this, I am like one of those men who slipped. But thank God I am securely bound in a living partnership to Christ. And because he stands, I will never perish. And because he stands, I am secure. So we are secure in Christ because of this position to be in Christ Jesus. And we need to move on. But before we move on from this point, it would be foolish for us to move on without asking this question. Are you in Christ Jesus? Could you describe your life as someone who has crossed that line so that you are in Christ Jesus? Now, as I think about my life and my journey with God, one of the things that I've learned more and more is that this walk with Christ, this Christian life, it is, it's a journey, right? There's ups and downs, but it's a, it's a long obedience in the same direction. And I confess that sometimes Christians and Baptists are probably the worst at this. Sometimes we maybe overemphasize this dramatic conversion experience and we kind of minimize the the rest of the walking with God part. But if you think about how important it is to be in Christ, it also begs the question, have I ever crossed over? Because if there's a time that you're in Christ, there's a time that you can be apart from Christ or a time that you can be out of Christ. And even if this lifetime is a journey, that journey has to start with that very first step which is by faith, saying, Jesus, I want to place my faith in you. Jesus invites us to it very clearly when he says, you can be born again. You can be born again by putting your belief in me. In a couple weeks, we're going to get to Romans chapter 10, where Paul says it like this, if you believe with your mouth and confess with your heart, you will be saved. And so we're talking about our security for those that are in Christ Jesus, but, but it would be a shame for us to go away without asking that question, are you in Christ Jesus? And his arms are wide open to you, and he accepts you, and he welcomes you in today, right where you are. You pray and you say, Jesus, come in. I want to begin that life in you. And all of these blessings that we're talking about are, 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 are ours to those who believe. So my position changes But the third thing we see is that there is also a power that comes from the Holy Spirit. I am secure in my relationship with God. He accepts me. And uh, as evidence of that, there's this power from the Holy Spirit. So those of you that are very astute, that have been following along in the book of Romans, you might have noticed that in chapters 1 through 7, the Holy Spirit is only mentioned two times. And kind of in passing, just kind of these quick little references to the Holy Spirit. But then you get to Romans chapter 8, and the Holy Spirit is actually mentioned 20 different times in one chapter. So let's look at a a chunk of these from uh, verse 5. And I'm going to read verse 5 through 11, where we see this. That those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the 
flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit, and that's the capital S, Spirit of God, the, the, the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do that. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. That's that in Christ and apart from Christ that I'm talking about. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. And Paul, so Paul says, not only is our position changed, but being in Christ gives us this deep connection to God's Spirit. And as I read about that and I think about the power that comes by having the Holy Spirit in, inside of us, I'm reminded of this kind of weird conversation that Jesus has with his disciples as he's coming to the end of his life in, in John 16. And Jesus says to his disciples, he says, do you know that it's actually better for you that I am leaving? And you know, that, on the surface, that doesn't make sense. Because how in the world could it be better for you? We have God in the flesh right here with you. How could it be better for you that he leaves? Well, Jesus goes on and explains because although you have God with you here, when I leave, I will send my spirit and God's spirit will actually live inside of you. You'll have God's spirit in you and with you. And Paul picks up on that and he says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead can live inside of you and then think of all of the blessings and think of the power that comes through that. And so the question then becomes, how do you experience this power of the Holy Spirit? And, and maybe you've been around church a lot and you understand that, but maybe you've not been around that much and you hear people talk about the power of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit helped me with that and you think, I don't get that. How in the world um, does that work? Let me just share a, an example that hopefully will help a little bit. How do we actually experience this power? And I want you to think about the car that you drove to church in this morning. Because all uh, vehicles operate on one of, of two principles, at least. The first one is the storage principle. And the idea is that there's a certain amount of fuel or energy that will propel the car forward, right? And so for most of it, you need gas, or even if it's an electric car, you still have to store up that fuel by filling up the gas tank or whatever it is. And then when you need it, you step on the gas and what is stored up comes and propels your car forward. There are also some vehicles, especially in old big cities, um, that work on what you might call the contact principle. And like, for instance, this old city bus in San Francisco. If you've ever seen that before, there's electric wires that run above the street. And this bus receives its power from an arm that actually, a metal arm that stays up and is in constant contact with that power from up above. And if it loses its contact, it won't be able to go forward. And so you say, well, then how do I experience God's power, and to me the answer is through both of those things. We experience the Holy Spirit through this storage principle. He, he comes and He lives inside of us, but there's things that we can do that will help Him grow and be strong in us. When we open up the Bible and spend time in His, his Word, when we gather together at church, 
when we sing songs of truth, when we love and serve another person, when we care for someone in need, whatever it is, anytime you're living out that Christian life, it's as if we're storing up God's Spirit inside of us. And when we need it, it's there. But there's also this constant contact principle that operates in real time. I want to be connected moment by moment to God's Spirit. And so when I face a temptation like I'm going to and you're going to today, I can remember that the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead actually lives in me, and that gives me the confidence. Or as I face challenges, like I do all the time and you do all the time, and you say, I don't know what to do. Even if I want to do the right thing, how do I know what the right thing is? I remember that I have the counselor that lives inside of me, that guides me into all truth. When I get discouraged, when I get defeated and run down, I can remember that I have the great comforter that lives inside of me. You see, you are spiritually secure because God's Spirit is in you. And there is nothing, nothing that can take that away. You're accepted. You're forgiven. You're filled. All of this stuff where we find our security. And as we wrap up here this morning, this the fourth one is, the fourth spiritual reality is, I am secure because my practice is different. That was a little harder to find a P word there. When I talk about your practice, I'm saying your life is different. The way you live, your behavior is different. The way I live is transformed. Look at verses 12 and 13 that kind of bring this out. Paul says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of your body, you will live. And so Paul has spent a ton of time and a ton of energy reminding us how secure we are in Christ because we're forgiven. We've got this new position. Um, But the the reality is, is when we are forgiven, the necessary complement of that forgiveness is that I begin to live forgiven and I begin to live free from that sin. It's kind of the two sides of the, the same coin. On the one hand, I'm forgiven for sin, but on the other side of that coin, I am free from sin and I begin to see that it makes a difference in my life. I am more loving. I am more kind. I am more Christ-like, right? I'm more holy because my practice is different. Well, hey, as we wrap up this morning, I want to share a, a, a story um, with you. And it's actually a, a, an old story that John Ortberg um, tells. I may have even read it here in church before, um, but it made a lot of sense to me today as I was thinking about this idea of my security and your security in Christ. And so let me just close with this. He says, many years ago, I was walking in Newport Beach. John Ortberg was a pastor. And he says, uh, this beach in Southern California, and I was with two friends. One was a pastor and the other was an elder all at the same church. So we walked past this bar where a fight had been going on inside. And the fight had spilled out onto the street, just like an old Western. Several guys were beating up on another guy and he was bleeding from the forehead. We knew we had to do something, so we went over to break up the fight. But I don't think these two pastors and this elder were very intimidating when we said, hey, you guys, cut that out. Didn't seem to do much good. Then all of a sudden, they looked at us 
with fear in their eyes. The guys who had been beating up the one guy stopped and started to slink away. They didn't know why until we turned and looked behind us. Out of the bar had come the biggest man I think I'd ever seen. He was something like six feet, seven inches, maybe 300 pounds, 2% body fat, just huge. We called him Bubba. Not to his face, but afterwards when we talked about him, we called him Bubba, and Bubba didn't say a word. He just stood there and flexed, and you could tell he was hoping that they would have a, try and have a go at him, but all of a sudden, my attitude was transformed, and I said to those guys, you better not let us catch you coming around here again. I was a different person because I had a great big Bubba. I was ready to confront with resolve and firmness. I was released from anxiety and fear. I was filled with boldness and confidence. I was ready to help somebody that needed helping. I was ready to serve where serving was required. Why? Because I had a great big Bubba and I was convinced I was not alone and I was safe. And then he ends by asking this question. How would your life be different if you knew that you had a Bubba behind you 24 hours a day? We would approach life differently. And obviously, I hope you, you get the point behind that. It's, it's not a big Bubba that we have, but it is a great big God who stands behind and says, you are accepted. You are forgiven. You are mine. Here's my power. Let me fill you up for all that I have for you all of the blessing that I have for you and all of the blessing for you to bring to other people. Well, hey, as we close this morning, I want to take just a, a, a quick minute of reflection. The worship team's going to come and lead us in our closing song. Um, but if you're following along on your notes, you'll see on the backside towards the bottom, um, there's a little box there that kind of asks this, the so what question. And the so what question is this. As you look at these things, that my penalty has been paid, my position is new, uh, my power is filled with the Holy Spirit and my practice, my behavior is different. My question to you is, which one of those did you need to hear today? Which one of those did you need to be reminded? And maybe take a minute and just between you and God kind of reflect on that. And then the second question is, is what's something you could do to live that out, to live that truth out this week? And as you reflect on that and kind of bring that before God, let me close us in a word of prayer. God, I thank you so much for the fresh wind of your word, your sacred word blowing through our lives, filling us up. Lord, it's just amazing to me that this ancient text speaks with such relevancy and power to my life today. Thank you for your inspired word. We thank you for the truth that we've explored today and will continue to explore what it means to be secure in you. And I pray, Lord, for those of us that maybe need to take that first step and say, I I need to place my life in Christ Jesus. As they do that even now, Lord, would you come and fill their life as we know that you're faithful to do. For those of us who've maybe wandered away or not lived who we really are, I pray that these truths would go deep into our heart, that they would be that spike into the, the, the mountain that would hold us firm. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the acceptance and the security that we have in you. Help us to live who we are. In Christ's name, amen.